Uh, the reading this morning is Esther chapter 4. Okay. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hattak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hattak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written degree, decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favour and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hattak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hattak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the gold scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Morning, everyone. Thank you, Colin, for the reading. We right now are in the middle of a series on loving the city. And we've seen so far that God loves cities and he wants his people to love cities. And that as part of loving the city, he wants us to seek in practical ways to make the city better because we're here and we're part of the city. In the past few weeks, we've been looking at how do we do that? 
we looked at how God calls every Christian to live as priests in the city, to be go-betweens who connect the people around us with God. And we've looked the past couple weeks at how if we want to love the city, we need to be generous both to God and to the people around us. And today we're going to look more at how God calls us to be a blessing to the city. And I want to ask you a question as we get started. Imagine with me, you walk into a bookstore and you see a book right there on the shelf, The Woman God Uses. Now, if you were to look at that book and, and you had to guess just by the title what that book is about, what type of person would you expect that book to be about? How many of you would expect it to be someone who like, reads their Bible and prays every single day? How many would expect like a Mother Teresa type person who just serves the poor and gives their life generously for the people around them? How many would expect someone who hides their faith while sleeping their way to power? Not, not too many of us, right? And yet when we open up the Bible and we look at the book of Esther, that's exactly what we find. God uses Esther despite the fact that she hides her faith, that she sleeps her way to power and uses that to get ahead. And so we're going to look at Esther today and see what she, this surprising and unlikely hero, has to teach us about loving our city. And what we'll see is that no matter how you got to the palace, God has you there for a purpose. No matter how you got to the palace, God has you there for a purpose. We'll look at Esther's story, the path to the palace, opportunities of the palace, the danger of the palace, and letting go of the palace. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good to us and that you love us. And as we just heard from Adrian, that you are faithful, that you work through seemingly random circumstances of our lives to bring good. And I pray that you would help us to just understand that more deeply as we look at the story of Esther today, someone whose life was shaped by a series of seemingly random events that, that worked out for amazing good. We pray that you would use us to love and bless the city. In Jesus' name, amen. So first off, we have Esther's story, in case you don't know it. Esther, she was a Jewish girl. She was born in exile. So while, while she was living, Israel was under the rule of a foreign nation called Persia, which in our world we know as Iran. It was a little bit different back then than it is today, but that's where it was. And at that time, Persia was the most powerful empire on the planet. And the king, his word was law. One day, his wife did something, the queen did something where she told the king no in public, made him look bad. He didn't like that. So he sent her away and said, it's, I got to get a new queen. It's a great marriage dynamic. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't try that at home. And so to find his new queen, he goes out and he gathers all the beautiful, young, single women from around his empire to come in for a beauty contest. And Esther, as one of those beautiful, single, young women in the kingdom, she enters this beauty pageant. And Esther, she was an orphan who was raised by her uncle Mordecai. And at Mordecai's advice, as she goes in for this beauty pageant, she hides her ethnic background and her faith from everyone else in the palace. She doesn't let anyone else know that she's Jewish. And in our world, if you have a beauty pageant where they find out that one of the contestants slept with one of the judges, that's a scandal. In their world, that was the beauty pageant. 
So night by night, girl after girl is brought into the king's bedroom to spend the night with him. And then in the morning, he decides, uh, yeah, or uh, not so much. That's how he determines the new queen. And so Esther goes to the palace, hiding her faith with the goal of sleeping her way to power. That's a lot of compromises that Esther as a Jewish girl is making. She's sleeping with a man who's not her husband, big no-no for a Jewish girl. She's hiding her faith, big no-no. And if she wins this beauty pageant and gets the ultimate prize, she gets to marry a man who's not Jewish, which is also a big no-no for a Jewish girl in Bible times. That's a lot of compromise. And yet, despite all that compromise, she wins the contest. She becomes queen. God doesn't strike her down and say like, how dare you, lightning. He doesn't make her face break out in zits the night before she goes into the king. <laughs> like, ah, I'm so ugly now. No, he blesses her. He makes everything go right for her so that she can advance, so that she can get into this position of power, despite the fact that she's disobeying him step by step by step. And then one day, after she has officially become queen, disaster strikes. Haman, the number two guy in the nation, he gets mad at Uncle Mordecai. And he's so furious that he decides it's not enough to just take out my anger on Mordecai. I need to wipe out his entire ethnic group in revenge for what he has done to me. So he goes to the king and he gets a law passed that on a certain day, everyone in the nation has the legal right to kill any Jewish people you know, young or old, man, woman, child, doesn't matter. You can kill them and you can loot their stuff. If you've been looking for a get rich quick scheme, this is your opportunity. Just kill your Jewish neighbor, take all their stuff, you're much richer overnight. And of course, as soon as this law is announced, all the Jewish people across the empire go into mourning. They're essentially holding their own funerals. And as all this is happening, where is Esther? She's in the palace, blissfully unaware of what's happening in the outside world because she didn't hesitate to compromise her morals and lie about her identity, she's been able to rise to a position where she can go through life untroubled by all the things that make life hard for the common people. But she gets dragged into the situation when she hears that Uncle Mordecai is at the king's gate in funeral clothes. So she sends him some clothes so that he can get dressed and come in and meet with her because you couldn't come into the king's palace in funeral clothes, and he says no. So they have this back and forth conversation through some servants, and Esther's like, what's wrong? And Mordecai's like, haven't you heard? They're gonna kill us all. He sends a copy of the law, he tells the story of how it happened, and he tells Esther, you need to talk to the king and tell him to rescue us. And Esther says, don't you realize that's not possible? I can't do that. There's a death sentence for anyone who comes to the king without being invited. And he hasn't invited me for a month. And Mordecai's like, don't you realize, Esther, you already have a death sentence on your head. You think you're safe because you've hidden your identity and you're in the palace, but you're one of us. You can't escape this. Even in there, if, if you go to the king, you might die. But if you do nothing, you will die. But maybe, 
This is the reason that God has you in this position, so you can rescue us. That's what he's saying when he says that famous line, who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe God has worked out this random series of events uh, of the king just getting mad at his wife, getting rid of her, randomly picking you out of all the beautiful girls in the empire. Maybe God worked that out so you could be in this position right now at this time to rescue your people. And Esther realizes he's right. So she tells all the Jewish people in the city, to fast, to stop eating and drinking and pray for her for three days. And then she's going to go talk to the king on their behalf. And in the rest of the book of Esther, what we see is there's this crazy series of events where Esther goes and talks to the king and the king listens to her and agrees to rescue her people. Haman, the guy who's trying to kill all the Jewish people, he and his family all get killed. The Jewish people are saved and uncle Mordecai gets Haman's job and all his money and they all live happily ever after. Now, what does that story of Esther and her experience have to do with us loving our city today? Well, that's what we're gonna look at the rest of our time today. And we're gonna start with the path to the palace because Esther shows us that your past mistakes on the path to the palace don't define you. Your past mistakes on the path to the palace don't define you. Right, Esther, she, she climbed to power through compromise and hiding the truth of her identity. And guess what? That is a story that plays out every single day in Hong Kong. How many people do you know of in our city who have gotten pay raises and promotions through taking credit for someone else's work and making the boss think it was theirs? How many companies do you know of that have gotten investors to invest in them by putting numbers on investor pitches that they knew were false? How many people in Hong Kong have advanced their careers by sleeping with their boss? How many Christians in Hong Kong hide their faith at the workplace because they're afraid of what coworkers would think if they knew they were Christians? Or they're afraid of what the boss would think when they're up for a promotion if they knew that they were a Christian? How many of us in this room have advanced our own careers through these things or things like them? And here's the reality. If you're a Christian and you're trying to live in a way that honors Christ and these steps are part of your story, one of the biggest lies that Satan wants you to believe is that your past failures define you. You've messed up too big. God can't use you anymore. So just forget about trying to do anything good for God and you know, your damaged goods, you can't do anything for him. And since you can't do anything for God, you may as well just keep trying to get yourself ahead. Put yourself first. That's what Satan wants you to believe. He wants to get you out of the game, to get you on the sidelines, to get you give up from trying to serve God. And if you believe this lie, Satan has you on the sidelines and he can focus his attention elsewhere. But Esther is living proof that this lie is not true, right? She didn't just go into morally gray areas. She did things that God explicitly told the Jewish people, don't do that. And she didn't just do these things to get a promotion within a company. She did it to get into the palace itself. She married the king because of her compromises. She was sleeping in the literal palace 
because she did things that she knew were wrong. And it wasn't just any palace. It was the palace of the king of Persia, the country that was ruling over Israel at the time. How's that for compromise? And yet we see as we continue reading the book, God used Esther. Despite her compromise, he used her in incredible and powerful ways to rescue his people. We see from Esther that your past mistakes, they don't define you. They don't keep you from being able to serve God and make a difference. They don't prohibit you from being used by God in the future. Actually, I'll take that one step further. It's not just that they don't prohibit you from being used by God. It's actually that they might be the exact means God uses to put you in a place where he can use you even more powerfully. That's what we see with Esther. Let's look at the opportunities of the palace. Because all of her compromises were exactly what God used to put her in the position where she'd have a voice to rescue her people. Without her compromises, she wouldn't have been in the palace. And without being in the palace, she couldn't have had access to the king. And without access to the king, she couldn't have saved her people. Now, just to preempt a possible misapplication of this, this doesn't mean that we should just go out, do whatever we want, sleep around, make all the compromises because, hey, God can bless us. God can use it. No, God can use that. He can also work through our obedience. But what we see from the story of Esther is that when Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for those who love God, it really means all things. Our failures that we look back on with nothing but shame, all things work together for good. That moment that we look back on and we just think to ourselves, if I could have one more chance, I would do it differently. All things work together for good. God uses even those things for our good. For Esther, those compromises, they gave her a place of influence in the palace. And guess what? God's people needed someone in the palace with influence who could speak directly to the king on their behalf if they were going to be rescued. And just like Esther, each one of us has a sphere of influence in our lives. People that that we have the ability to impact through the things we say and the things we do and the decisions we make. For some of us, that might just be ourselves, our kids, and a couple friends. For others of us, we have a company full of employees who have to do exactly what we say. Most of us are probably somewhere in between there. And some of us gained our spheres of influence by doing things the right way, by being people of integrity, by refusing to compromise even when that would have been the easiest path forward. And maybe others of us gained our spheres of influence by compromise, and putting ourselves first. But here's what we see in Esther. Regardless of how big or small your sphere of influence is, regardless of how you gain that influence, whether it was through doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing or some mix of the two, God didn't give you that power and influence so you can sit back and be comfortable with it. God gave you that influence so you can serve and bless others. Each of us has opportunities within our own sphere of influence to use our influence for the good of others. So what could that look like in our world? You know, I I know one guy in Hong Kong, he had a business background and he was having a conversation with someone one day and they said, 
you know, if you really want to make a difference in Hong Kong, you know what you should do? Find a way to make loans to domestic helpers that don't just trap them in debt forever. Because most companies that give out loans to helpers are trying to get people trapped in these cycles of debt, so they just have to keep paying them for the rest of their lives. And if you could find a way to, to start a company that doesn't do that, that's, that's able to give helpers short-term help without trapping them in long-term debt, you could make an impact in Hong Kong. And this guy thought to himself, I think I have the business knowledge to do that. So he started a new company aimed at giving loans to domestic helpers that they can afford to actually pay off so they're not trapped in debt forever. And then his company also partners with some NGOs around the city to help provide budgeting training for helpers so they can learn how to save and invest and get to a healthier financial place where they don't even need to take out these loans in the future. He used his sphere of influence, his business skills and, and connections to try to make life better for a huge portion of the population. Now, maybe you're like, Eric, that's, that's great that he did that, but I don't have those business skills. I don't have that type of money to be able to start a company like that. I don't have the connections to do that. That's okay. God's not expecting you to do something that's beyond your ability to do. But maybe you don't have the ability to start a company. Maybe you work in a company and you recognize that, that there's a part of our workforce in our company that's just being mistreated and underpaid. Maybe you're in a higher paid, better treated position within the company, but your role still has no authority to change things for that segment. You can see it, but you don't actually have power to do anything about it. And you feel sort of powerless. What if you help someone with the power see the injustice? That's what Mordecai did in this story. He didn't have the power to get to the king, but he knew someone who could, and he helped them see what was happening to the people who were being oppressed, and through his influence, the people were saved. He didn't have power with the king, but he had power with Esther, and so he used his influence on her to get her to use her influence with the king. Maybe you're like, Eric, I don't work. I stay home all day. I look after my kids. You know, maybe occasionally they bring a friend or two over to hang out, and that's, that's my sphere of influence. Well, do you realize that your kindness and your words of encouragement and affirmation can have a huge impact on the lives of those kids that you interact with? Both your own kids and their friends. Right? So many kids in our world are growing up in broken homes, in homes where they're constantly criticized and looked down on. And you're speaking words of encouragement and affirmation and life to them can transform their trajectory in life. It can show them there's a different way of doing things possible, and I don't have to be trapped in this same cycle that my family is trapped in. Your kindness can change the course of their life. Regardless of how big or small your sphere of influence is, God has given it to you for such a time as this. Because God is sovereign. That means he's in control, absolute control of everything, all the time, everywhere. Because he's in control of everything. He has orchestrated the universe in such a way that you have exactly the sphere of influence you need to do exactly the role God has called you to at exactly the time he wants you to do it. Let me say that again, because God is in control. He's given you exactly the sphere of influence you need to do exactly the job he has called you to at exactly the time that he wants you to do it. 
And that's true regardless of how you came into that influence or how big your sphere of influence is or whether you did the right thing or the wrong thing to get to the point where you are now. God has you in this place to serve and love others and make a difference. So here are some questions you can think and ask yourself as you try and figure out what could it look like for me to use my influence to serve and love others. First, who are the poorer and disadvantaged people across the city who need the connections and talents that you have? Who are the poorer and disadvantaged people across the city who need the connections and talents that you have? Maybe it's people working in your company. Maybe it's your kids' friends. Maybe it's people in wider society that you are somehow uniquely suited to serve and reach. But who are they? Next, what is the injustice or corruption inside your circles of influence or your field of work that needs, correction, uh, needs attention? What's the injustice or corruption inside my circles of influence that needs attention? There is injustice and corruption all over the place in our world. I'm sure you're aware of this, right? Like predatory business practices that take advantage of the little guy because he can't hire the lawyers to fight back. Bribery and payoffs. Businesses who say work is done in a certain way when they know it really wasn't. Students, there's even injustice in the educational system. Did you know that? Like the way that your school tells you and your friends, you are only as valuable as your grades. That's unjust. What could your role be in changing that story for your friends? In helping them understand you are valuable and important regardless of what your grades are. What's the injustice or corruption that needs attention? And then third, maybe there's a situation where you see injustice, you're powerless to change it, but you can help others see what's happening. Where am I powerless to change things, but able to help people with power see what's happening? Maybe your role in blessing the city isn't to be Esther, it's to be Mordecai. But if that's, if that's the case, who are the people you need to speak to to do that role faithfully? And I realize doing these things and seeking to use our influence in these ways, it's not easy. It requires wisdom to know when do I speak up? When do I stay silent? It requires some discernment in picking our battles. But it's also hard because it's risky, which brings us to the dangers of the palace. Right? As we're all aware, using your influence in this way, it's costly. There's a reason we make compromises to get to and stay in the palace. Right? And, and just to clarify, in our case, it's not typically a literal palace. Right? It might be the job title. I'm a managing director now. I'm a partner now. It might be a bigger flat. We can upgrade from 500 square feet to 800 square feet, and that's your palace. Or it might be buying instead of renting a flat. It might be having your kids in a certain school. It's this idea of the better life, the good things. Whatever your palace is, the palace is a great place to be. You know, it's comfortable there. When you're in the palace, you can have things go your way. But here is the danger of the palace. If you're not able to let go of the palace in order to love and serve others, the palace is actually a prison for you. If you're not able to let go of the palace in order to love and serve others, the palace is actually a prison for you. 
You know, we think all the things that the palace offers, they're good things, and many of them are. They are blessings that make our lives more comfortable, more enjoyable. But if you love the luxury of the palace more than you love your integrity, more than you love other people, more than you love God, then you'll sacrifice everything, even your most fundamental values, in order to stay in the palace. There's a certain comfort to the palace that causes us to turn a blind eye to the horrors of the world, because if we really saw them, we'd feel like, I need to do something about that, and we don't want that discomfort. Did did you notice in the story of Esther, Mordecai, who lives outside the palace, actually knows more about what's happening in the palace than Esther, who lives in the palace? How does that happen? It's because the palace gives this false sense of security. I don't need to know or care about what's happening in the world because it doesn't affect me. Once we're in the palace, we, we believe the things out there, they don't affect me. I don't need to care about them. But it's precisely because we're in the palace, because we have a roof over our heads and money to pay the bills and food to eat and connections to people in power that God wants us to care about what's happening out there. He's given us those resources so we can use them to make a difference in the world. The palace is meant to be a place that we can use to serve and love others. And doing this, it's scary. You know, you and I, we, we read the story of Esther and we see Mordecai's line in verse 14 about who knows whether you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we're like, well, duh, everyone knows that's exactly why you're here. But we only know that because we have the privilege of looking back on the story from the future. When you're living in the middle of a situation like this, in your own life, when you have to put your own power and privilege on the line for the sake of others, you don't have that benefit of looking back and seeing from the future how this is going to work out. You need to live it out in real time. And in real time, there's no way for Esther to know whether she's going to be the hero who saves her people or whether she's going to lose her head. And oh, by the way, the only reason she's queen is because the king has a quick temper and kicked out the last, king for, uh, last queen for disobe- disobeying him. So if you were in Esther's shoes, would you be rushing in to do something that might upset him? I don't know about you, I wanna keep my head and my money and my possessions and my house and my influence and all the other perks that come with being in the palace. But that's the danger for us. When the palace is our prison, there's no depth we won't stoop to in order to keep our place there. When the palace is our prison, there's no depth we won't stoop to in order to keep our place there. Have you ever stopped to think about how like the worst horrors in the history of the world happen? Things like the Holocaust or this genocide that almost happened in the book of Esther? I don't know about you, life is easier when we look at those horrors and we think, well, they were just a whole nation of super, super evil people and we're not like that, so we're okay. But that's not actually true. There's a professor named Dr. Clay Jones. He's done wide research on genocides and this is what he has to say about it. Absolutely every genocide researcher and even genocide victim to a person agrees that it's the average ordinary member of a population that commits genocide. Is that terrifying to you? It is the average ordinary member of a population that commits 
genocide. The absolute worst evils in the history of the world have been committed by normal people like you and me who just didn't want to lose their place in the palace. That's what it comes down to. So rather than standing up and saying, no, this is wrong, this needs to stop, just kept their head down and kept doing what they had to do to stay out of trouble. When keeping the privilege of the palace is more important to us than anything else in life, when we're not free to sacrifice to do what's right, we become capable of committing the worst atrocities humanly imaginable because we're slaves to the palace. That's the danger of the palace. If we want to be true to who God made us to be, and if we want to really live as a blessing to the city, we need the freedom to sacrifice that for the good of others. So how do we get that freedom? Well, let's look at letting go of the palace. For Esther, before we get there, how, like, what does it take to get to this place where we can really let go of that? Have you ever thought about that in your own life? For Esther, that, that turning point came when she realized, I am connected to these people who are suffering and I cannot escape their fate. This is what we looked at a couple weeks ago in Jeremiah 29, when God says, seek the welfare of the city for in its welfare, you will be blessed. If you're part of the city, when things go well for the city, things go well for you. When things go poorly for the city, things go poorly for you. If you're like, I have a high paying job, I'm, I'm immune from those sways in the market. That's not true. When the market crashes, your company runs out of money too. Your investment accounts get depleted as well. Esther, she thinks she's safe and free from this law because she's in the palace, but she's not. Mordecai reminds her, you're one of the Jewish people. What, what happens to you is going to happen to them. And when Esther realizes this is the case, that she's one with the people who are suffering, that's what finally convinces her, I need to step up and I need to risk my, my power and my influence and my, my life itself to benefit them. That's a basic human reality that, that should apply to all of us, whether we're Christians or not. That we let go of the perks of the palace to help and serve others when we realize we have solidarity with them. We're not immune from the problems they face. But if you're a Christian, there's another deeper reason for doing this. It's not just about that baseline self-preservation. It's actually about love and thankfulness. Imagine with me that you were one of these Jewish people who had your death sentence passed and whose life was rescued by Esther. And a year goes by and you're at work and someone who works for you does something and you have the chance to sacrifice your power and prestige within the company, or at least risk it, to help them. As you reflect back on what Esther did for you and your people, how is that going to impact your willingness to help this person at work? Are you going to be more or less likely to sacrifice for them in light of what Esther did for you? Of course you're going to be more likely, right? Having someone sacrifice for you gives you the strength to sacrifice for others. And as Christians, we have someone who sacrificed for us. Did you notice what Esther says at, at the end of this passage as she gets ready to go before the king? She says, if I perish, I perish. She knew that doing this might cost her her life. 
She hoped the outcome would be different, but she knew it might cost that, and that was a price she was willing to pay. But when Jesus came to earth to rescue humanity from the death sentence that hung over us because of our sin and disobedience towards God, there was no if about it. He knew it would cost him his life. He knew the only way to rescue us would be to die in our place, and he did it willingly. He rescued us not only from earthly death, from eternal death. He, suffer, he sacrificed not only an earthly palace, but the heavenly palace where he had spent eternity and his life itself so that you and I can know God and have eternal life and spend eternity with him. The more deeply we understand the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, what he gave up to serve our need, the more we're gonna be free to give up our stuff to serve and love others. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way, he says, when you see how much you're loved, your work will become far less selfish. Suddenly, all the other things in your work life, your influence, your resume, the benefits they bring you, the perks of being in the palace, they become just things. You can risk them, spend them, and even lose them. You are free. The palace stops being a prison for us once we have a secure identity of Jesus, once we know we have a place of love and acceptance and blessing that's ours, even if we lose the palace. That's what's going to set us free to sacrifice and serve and love others. So church, God has given each of us the privileges and connections and skills and influence you have in life for a reason. He gave it all to you so you can use it to love and serve others. Regardless of the path you took towards getting it, the fact that you have it now means God wants you to use it in service of others. And he's equipped you with the exact skills, the exact connections, the exact resources you'll need to do exactly what he has called you to at exactly the right time. And it'll probably require sacrifice and risk, and you're not gonna be able to know the outcome in advance. But following Jesus in, in laying down your privilege to love and serve others, it's a path to freedom, and it's the only path to living as a blessing to the city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Esther. We thank you for her courage. We thank you for her willingness to sacrifice, and we thank you for the ways that you used her, despite all her failures and mistakes, to be a rescuer for her people. And we thank you that we have a rescuer in Jesus who laid down his life to rescue us. We pray that as we go back into the world this week, that you would give us courage and love to make sacrifices for the good of the people around us. That we wouldn't be trapped by the palace and privilege